Hey everybody, Eric here. This is just a periodic reminder that we have a free Discord community where you can chat with other spirits and cocktail lovers and even submit questions for our interview guests. In fact, this episode we tackle a really interesting question from the Discord. So if you'd like the chance to ask questions for future guests, just email me at podcast@modernbarcart.com and I'll send you an invite to join the group. That will also get you other fun perks like free access to Jordan Hughes' cocktail camera e-course and many more benefits in days to come. So join the Discord and profit. It's as simple as that. Now, on to the show. Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 272 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where I track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that I can share their secrets with you. This time around, we're joined once again by Mike Vanderhorn, who is... I think we all agree, a total machine when it comes to cocktail competitions. Fresh off yet another exciting event, he took the time to chat with me about a topic that's been making waves in the bar world for the last couple years, super juice. If you're not already familiar with this ingredient, well, you're about to be. But before we start talking about acid adjusting oleo citrates and all the other fun techno babble that comes out when you try to make a Frankenstein's monster out of citrus juice, let's pause so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Water Lily. To make it, you'll need three quarters of an ounce of gin, three quarters of an ounce orange liqueur, clear triple sec is preferred here for color purposes, as you'll see, three quarters of an ounce of creme de violette, which is a violet flavored liqueur, and three quarters of an ounce of fresh lemon juice, or hey, this is a super juice episode, so follow your heart. Combine these ingredients in a mixing beaker. Yes, that's right. We're putting citrus juice in a mixing beaker. Why? I can only speculate, and I will in a second. But anyway, we're in a mixing beaker. We stir, we don't shake, over ice until well chilled and properly diluted. Then strain into an elegant coupe glass, preferably a chilled one. Express an orange twist over the top, but don't garnish. And enjoy. Lots of rules, huh? Invented by bartender Richie Bacato at either Milk and Honey or Little Branch in New York City, accounts differ, this cocktail bends the equal parts last word format into all sorts of interesting contortions. Gin and citrus are there, but lemon instead of lime. Lemon makes sense here because of that intensely floral perfumey note from the creme de violette. And in this context, the triple sec comes off almost like an orange blossom note, playing the role of both an aromatic and a sweetener. In other words, if you soften your gaze to the point where things start to get a little blurry, the triple sec is playing the part of the maraschino liqueur, and the creme de violette is like a single note chartreuse. Now, back to this elephant in the room. Why is this cocktail stirred rather than shaken? Well, to be honest, the internet does not agree on this point. A lot of recipes out there simply tell you to shake it, but my guess is that these folks saw citrus and just assumed that there was a typo in the source they were looking at. Because there's enough references to stirring, including by imbibe, to which I attribute a high degree of trust, that I simply have to assume that Richie Bacato had his reasons. Coming off a week-long gin class, as I am, where I delved heavily into botanical spirits, my gut tells me that if there truly is a reason to stir the water lily, it's got something to do with that creme de violette, which is this drink's most problematic ingredient. From a visual standpoint, shaking it will make the service pour appear cloudy and pink, much less dark than it would be if you stirred it. And although this is pure speculation, it's also possible that shaking could cause the violet liqueur to revolt a little bit, coming off as harsh or soapy when aerated and diluted too aggressively. When I made lavender bitters, this was always true after we proofed them down with water. It took about a week of resting in the bottle before they tasted normal again. Knowing that, perhaps the stirred quality of the water lily cocktail 
is ultimately a nod to the delicate nature of floral ingredients. So, now that you've got a citrus cocktail to play around with when you make your next batch of super juice, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this nerdy deep dive with bartender and cocktail competitor, Mike Vanderhorn, some of the topics we discuss include what super juice is and how it has risen to prominence in both cocktail bar and home bar settings. Different ways of formulating super juice, including recipes and methods drawn from liquid intelligence, a bartender named Nickel Morris, and a YouTube mixologist called Kevin Koss. How to test the flavor of super juice against real citrus, and why this highly engineered product seems to attract as many skeptics and purists as it does sustainability nerds and flavor geeks. Where we stand in the sweeping citrus movements or eras that have influenced cocktail trends over the past several centuries, and the tools and ingredients you'll need to source if you want to incorporate this versatile new citrus ingredient into your professional or home bar. Along the way, we tackle a question, as I mentioned, from the Discord community about pH measurements, the best way to foil your bartender nemesis, South Jersey's new signature cocktail, and much, much more. This may come off as ironic in an episode about acid, but when it comes to super juice, my main takeaway from this conversation is that we should be looking for a sweet spot, some sort of ideal balance between cost, sustainability, flavor, and efficiency. I think it's tempting to look at this tool, super juice, as either a panacea to all the problems posed by citrus juice in cocktails or a looming threat to all that is good and wholesome about a fresh squeezed lemon or lime. But like most things, super juice inhabits the messy middle. And that's what we're here to do, get messy. With that, please enjoy this zesty, pithy conversation with my friend and yours, Mike Vanderhorn. Mike Vanderhorn, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so you were on not that long ago, and you're kind of coming to the rescue here in a save my ass situation. We had somebody who had uh, come on and ag- or agreed to come on and talk about Super Juice and then bailed at the last minute. And then you uh, you answered the call here. Uh, but before we get into all things acid adjustment and citrus, um, can you just uh, share with us what's been going on with you in the last like six months or so? How's Queen Jane's? How's the competition circuit? What's going on? Uh, Queen James is good. Uh, we've been we rolled through summer really nicely. Uh, ne- a week from Thursday, we're coming out with our fall winter menu, and so we're gonna have twenty three new cocktails because I'm crazy, <laughs> um, and they and they let me do what I want to do. Um, and the competition stuff's been great. I just got back from Austin again for the Deep Eddy Craft the Fun competition. I didn't win, but had a great time. It was tons of fun. So that was billed appropriately. And yeah, just been kind of working and, you know, doing my thing and gearing up for the next season of competitions, which is kind of like we're rolling into that now with Patron Perfectionists and World Class. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Hit us with some details from the Deep Eddy competition. From what I understand, that's vodkas, flavored vodkas. So what was what was it like to use those spirits in a competition format? So it was actually, it was the first competition I shared in the competition broadcast channel I created shortly after we talked last. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those ones that I like entered. I'm like, okay, like I got their red grapefruit expression and I made the cocktail and I shot it. And, you know, I wasn't thinking too much of it. It was just, it felt like another competition to me, but then I tasted the cocktail and I was like, oh my God, like that's (laughs) so delicious. And so it's kind of helped change my mind on vodka and flavored vodkas even like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's, they're really tasty. So using those in a competition format has been, it's been elucidating, you know, we we tend to get hung up on certain things like, you know, like vodka and craft and, you know, fresh citrus only in cocktails. And it's hard to get away from that if we don't have an experience that changes our mind. Um, So what were what were the challenges that they presented to you while you were there? Were you there just presenting your own drink? Or did you actually, you know, uh, do you get some curveballs thrown your way? 
Uh, so for we did it, there was regional semifinals. So 24 out of 600 entries got to go to one major city. Mine was in New York and compete against five others for the regional finals. And I won there. So that was my first in-person win, which was great. Nice. Um, felt really good. And I, that was a lot of fun as well. Joaquin Simo was the guest judge. And, you know, I was kind of pretending that he was some other Joaquin that I'd never heard of when I was presenting in front of him. Sure. But uh, no, that was that was really cool to meet him and, and meet Christine and Lynn there. And then and four national finalists were flown out to Austin to compete. And it was a 30-minute round, which I've never experienced before in my life. But a 30-minute round, you build three separate drinks. It all had to be thematically linked. Like I did a bunch of costume changes. Like, um, And they had different parameters for each drink. That's crazy. So yeah, it was, I, it was I, wild. I like that. So thematically linked, I'm glad that you did costume changes. That's that that really brings it to the next level because uh, not, you know, you, you've got a time limit and then you've also got the sort of like the uh, like the SNL component of it where, you know, between <laughs> yeah. between sketches, you have to go backstage and change into something else. Awesome. And for listeners, uh, Joaquin Simo, um, inventor of the Naked and Famous, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, and the uh, Florida Jerez, which was mm. arguably better. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, pouring pouring ribbons, which I believe closed not too long ago, maybe in the last year or two. Pouring ribbons closed, but that was his yeah, establishment. But yeah, he's very, very famous in the industry. Very uh, important dude and super fun to hang out with. Nice. Well, congrats on the regional win and uh, sounds like a, a fun competition. I'd love, I I, I kind of wish we had like video of these competitions. I mean, is Deep Eddie going to be publishing any video of this stuff or does it just kind of happen behind closed doors and then it disappears? So- there was a photographer, there was a videographer. So I don't know, maybe we'll see some stuff. You know, I didn't even get to see the other competitors. That was another strange little tidbit in there. Mm. They didn't have us watch each other because they thought that there was like some level of like advantage if you went last versus first. So, so yeah, I didn't even get to see the other competitors. I just like got like little bits of what they were doing, saw their outfits, saw their like they were telling me a little bit. And the person who won really well deserved, Ashley. She's great. She's from Charlotte. And yeah, she, it's it just, you know, it was. It was, it was such a cool experience. But yeah, I'd love to see some photos and videos. Um, I'm sure there's some really interesting ones of me making stupid faces. <laughs> well, I'm glad that the competition circuit is going well. If our listeners want to learn more about that stuff, we should have them head over to the last interview that you conducted with us. So we'll link to that over on the show notes, all about cocktail competitions, large and small, digital and in person. Uh, but today, as I mentioned, we're here to talk about Super Juice. And so what I'm hoping you can do for us is walk us in gently, baby steps here. Let's start with the definition. What is super juice and how do you use it in your bar? So I, you know, I feel a a little bit like, you know, third string here because I'm not the inventor of super juice. (laughs) I'm not someone who popularized super juice, but I'm someone who uses it. So I am the end user. Like, um, but it's something that, that I've been really passionate about since I started using it. So super juice is basically an alternative to using the full fresh juice of limes, lemons, oranges, grapefruits. And basically you... In 2015, Nickel Morris created this super juice recipe, but really it starts with an oleo citrate. We all know oleo saccharum, which is a sugar and citrus peel solution. This is using citric, malic acids in the case of lemon and lime. You add some sugar in there for oranges, and then you use some MSG and sugar with grapefruit. But basically you peel the fruits. The recipe that I go off of now is based on 100 grams, but you can kind of multiply it up and down. Uh, You peel your citrus and you add the citric and malic acid, sugar, MSG, and you let that sit for about an hour. And then you add a liter of water, blend that all together and strain it into a clean container. And then whatever citrus you used, whether it was six, eight limes, lemons, whatever, you juice that also into the container, give it a little shake and store it in the fridge. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I've dabbled in super juice. Obviously, for a home bar, it's one of those things where you make a batch and it lasts a long, long time. Or, I mean, it lasts as long as it lasts because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's usually stable for a few days to, if you want to stretch it, about a week, right? Is that is that the prevailing wisdom? Uh, so, well, it... The prevailing wisdom is a little hard to follow. For me, my experiments, my side-by-sides, I've gotten up to two weeks, you know. At my bar, we don't, 
tend to it doesn't tend to last that long because we try to prep a reasonable amount of everything and not have to waste anything and not have to you know make something in the middle of service so for you know i i i give it about two weeks and that's at home too like i have a batch that you know I wrote on it expires 10-4. Um, if I use that tonight, I probably won't notice too much of a difference. But at the bar, like two weeks would be the hard cutoff if I ever like ran that far with it. You know, but again, this is like this is the original method of super juice because since then there have been other methods popularized. Mm. You know, there's a, a fancy calculator online that you can do, and that that does tie into uh Dave Arnold's like citrus, fake citrus acid, like mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kevin Koss is the one who popularized this different version. It's not the original recipe, but it took something from the original recipe, that 6% acid formula, which is based on how much acid is in citrus juice. It's, you know, 4% citric, 2% malic, whatever. So there's a lot of science that goes along with it. But then that's a way different recipe and ratio than what Nicole Morris originally created and doing side-by-side tests on both of them. I like Nicole Morris's way better. I and mean, we've done that at a bar with a bunch of people with pretty damn good palates. And that was, there was fresh juice, super juice, Nicole Morris's version, and then super juice, Kevin Koss's version. And the Nicole Morris won out over fresh juice even, but it was close. Like there were two people that were for the fresh juice, three people that were for the Nicole Morris super juice. And then the Kevin Koss was just not in there. So hmm. Nobody voted for that one. And that was in a daiquiri side by side. So I've done some testing, some, you know, blind tasting. I'm not going to say it's scientific, but definitely done some side by side taste tests because I want to know what I, I want to make sure I'm given the best product, even while, you know, aiming for some s- sustainability, um, because not only are you increasing the shelf, the fridge stability of this juice, whether it's a week or two or whatever, you're increasing your yield by about five to six times with Nicol Morris's. So this this stretches out your citrus juice, gives you the same level of acidity and, you know, to my palate and to a lot of other people's the same level of flavor. Yeah, that will. So this this is interesting. I'm glad that you brought up the split tests that you ran because I have only ever done the Kevin Koss method. And for those of you who are wondering about these names that we're dropping, essentially, Kevin Koss is the YouTube guy. He dominates the YouTube algorithm. So if you search for something on YouTube or on Google and you want a DIY, you want a video for it in the cocktail space, chances are he's going to rank top three for it. He's been doing it for a while. He's been doing it at a high degree of uh, you know quality and, and production value. So he ranks well for that stuff. So that's when I decided I was going to test this. I literally just propped up my phone you know, look for the first one that came up, it was Kevin Koss. And so it's interesting to me that that with these two competing recipes, you know, you're, you're getting different feedback from people. So maybe that, I mean, that was something I wasn't necessarily expecting to come out of this, but I want to, I want to dive back in on that. But first I want to just like come at this from maybe an even blunter angle than we have been thus far. And just saying like, wow, okay, we've got fresh citrus juice, which kind of kicked off the cocktail renaissance, right? We've got DeGroff using this stuff in the rainbow room in the nineties. And, you know, then it kind of proliferates and and gets, you know, underground popular, then above ground popular from there. Now we've got super juice. Well, what's super about it? Well, you, you just referenced yields, right? So up to, you know, five to six times more. Um, citrus, if you break down, you're, you're a bartender at an actual professional bar. So you have to do what's called costing drinks, right? Uh, yeah. So when you're costing drinks, how much does super juice drop your expense by? Uh, so, I mean, I'd say five to six times, right? Like, you know, like if you're increasing your yield of juice, you know, and again, like, are we talking dollars per cocktail? No, but we're talking, you know, needing to order citrus less frequently and, you know, having more on hand with super juice. I, I like that you talked about, you know, the emergence of fresh citrus, because I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. You know, I mentioned in the intro talking about, you know, vodka and flavored vodkas like, you know, relics of the 90s before fresh juice became popular. Um, I feel like it's really hard to, you know, objectively evaluate super juice in the context of like what is a pillar of what craft has become. And so like, you know, before we talk about saving money, before we talk about sustainability, before we talk about all that, we have to we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? for tasting, you know, like, does it, does it taste the same? Like, does it taste 
quote unquote better or quote unquote worse. Um, and I think it depends on who you talk to and also whose recipe you used. When I first started making super juice and I, and I was like going hard about it as soon as I tried it, I was using Kevin Cause's recipe and I was like, oh crap. Yeah. Like this is, this is, I would say I felt like it was nearly as good. And this was with a blind taste test, but it was a little bit smaller scale. I was still a home bartender at that point. So like I wasn't using it in a bar program, but when I started at the bar, we started with super juice and we started with Kevin Koss's method. And then it wasn't until somebody asked me a question that I didn't have an answer to. And I'm, I'm not remembering what it was. Something sparked me going back to the original Nicole Morris video that I saw because I'd seen that months before and realizing that Kevin Koss was not using Nicole Morris's ratios. And like, you know, he had an explanation for it and that's fine. I agree. Kevin Koss is really, really engaging YouTube personality for sure. But when it comes to the super juice, you know, he's put this calculator up and that's where most people know about it, have hear about it. And if you Google it, that's what comes up. You know, I've done enough testing that I feel confident in saying that this original recipe and whatever the science is, you know, there's malic acid and with the lemon in the in Nicole Morris's recipe, you know, uh, the argument could be made that there's not a whole lot of malic acid in lemons, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not trying to you know, I'm not doing this like, okay, I'm going to use two grams less of this or four grams more of this. Like I just tried another recipe. I'm just following recipes and this recipe definitely tastes better and feels better to me in a cocktail than the original one did. And that was already pretty good, you know? And so I've made a big point when I do talk about super juice to, you know, it doesn't, you know, if you're using it and you're willing to challenge that, dogma feels like a strong word, but I'm going to use it. The dogma of fresh citrus, like, you know, like, like, you know, that is where like the fact that you're using it and willing to experiment and willing to try it is, you know, that's a huge step forward for for saving citrus and using less citrus um, and being more sustainable. And there's plenty of like, you know, bar programs across the country that are utilizing super juice, you know, and making slamming cocktails. You know, I have plenty of bars around me that even though it's not a craft centric area, they're using fresh juice and I'm sure they make great cocktails. But, you know, people are coming in and they drink at these places and then they have a cocktail by me and they're like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, it's not because of the super juice. Juice, but in spite of it, you know? Mm. Interesting. I got two thoughts kind of going in slightly different directions. One of them is kind of a dead end. So we'll go, we'll use that one first and then we'll back out and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll try and go from there. The, my, my sort of overall dead end obser observation is that we're sort of in what I would, I guess it's gotta be, what do we want to call it? Maybe the fourth movement or the fourth era of citrus. Because if you go way, way back in time, you know, we've got milk punches, we've got punches regular, and then we've got the golden age of cocktails in the 1800s, early 1900s. This was all fresh. Then mm. we kind of enter a dark age, right? Enter Rose's Lime Juice, not Rose's Lime Cordial, which actually used to be like the real deal. But then we've got like sort of the, the non-fresh citrus in the mid 20th century. That's phase two. Then we've got mm -hmm. cocktail renaissance phase three. And now, you know, with, with super juice, I think we're looking more at like a fourth phase or fourth movement of this. So I, I want, I want people to be aware of like the ebbs and flows of this, if that makes any sense, there is a certain amount of ebbing and flowing. And I think what we're trying to calibrate toward is something that gets the best of all the movements, right? Some of the yields that allow us to kind of save money and also kind of nod to the privilege of fresh citrus because, you know, in the cocktail renaissance, really, you have to go to our past guest, Ryan Chathia-Wardena, in his work over at, uh, I believe it was uh, White Lion or Dandelion, where mm -hmm. they um, first started really saying like, no, we're not using fresh citrus. We're doing all of our stuff with, you know, the acid equivalents of it and mm -hmm. kind of nodding to the privilege of like, yeah, to get a lime over to England takes a lot. And yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. where that's where punch and, you know, all these the the original cocktails came from. They still used fresh citrus, but that's why they were such an extravagance in the day and age where they you know first got popular. Now, perhaps less of an extravagance. And we've got these global market forces that allow us to take zillions of limes and put them on a boat and spray them with some gas that keeps them from, you know, going bad and get them on a supermarket and distributor shelves. But 
Yeah, that's maybe not the most sustainable way of going at it. So I, I, I just want to point out to folks that this is something that ebbs and flows. And we, we are trying to eventually find our way to, you know, what works best for our bar, for our context that allows us to get the best of the worlds that we want to get the best of. For some people, yeah, it's always going to be fresh citrus and that's fine. But, you know, there's also sustainability and economic stuff to to take into account. Now, I want to see if we can dig into this. <laughs> <laughs> this this dual this dueling um, super juice recipe thing. If you had to explain simply from a flavor perspective the difference between the Nicol Morris version and the Kevin Cost version, because it would be sort sort of asinine for us to just like spit numbers at people in a podcast yeah. format. What's the big overall difference? Because I agree with your evaluation of the Kevin Cost recipe. Because when I tasted it, I was like. Good, not great, right? Yeah, and and so I really it just comes down to ratios. And Kevin pulled a lot of his ratio information from Dave Arnold's Liquid Intelligence, which you know I get, but I think it's just I, overall too much water, too much water to um, citrus ratio. Yeah, mine's laying around here somewhere too. Um, you know, too much, too much water to the other ingredients, and I think that's the only failing of it. And I think that you know, and again, that his definitely increases yield by eight. We're looking at five or six, um, you know, for the Nicol Morris method, and I think that in itself is is what helps. You know, you know, and I've also like when it comes to super juice, and again, I haven't like I have had some comments that I'm not going to say I notice and I'm not, uh, the, I don't have the best palate in the world. Like I drink, I drink coffee. I vape. I, there's all these things that I do that keep my palate in not tip top shape. But you know, I, one person says that it feels a little oily. Now, is that because they know we're pulling the oil out of the citrus peel? And that's, you know, like there's so much when you're doing a test like that, like depending on your information, unless you're pulling in five, 10 random people that don't know what's going on and just being like, hey, which one of these do you prefer? Like we there's there's a lot of there's so much preconceived notion about what you're going into. And for me, I also have it. I'm I'm interested in continuing to use super juice. I want to continue to use super juice. And so when I taste against fresh juice, even if it's subconscious, like, you know, like I might be looking for something different than someone who really doesn't want to use super juice, but they want to try to have an open mind. I was having a conversation where, you know, like someone told me I shouldn't, I don't have to use every technique for every cocktail. And most of the time I agree, except when it comes to super juice, because if I'm doing a citrus based cocktail, I feel like I should be using citrus and then maybe, you know, and if that's the case and I think super juice is as good as I think it is, I should be using super juice. And I'm like, listen, if it helps with sustainability, if it helps with that, you know, like, like shipping citrus places, like, why shouldn't I if I get 90% of the flavor? And another person said, try 65% of the flavor. And what I didn't say, and I wanted to is like, okay, and so what? If I can't build a good cocktail, a great cocktail, an amazing cocktail off of 65% of the flavor of lime or lemon, maybe I'm too reliant on limes and lemons to make good cocktails. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, it's one of those things, like, you know, we all have strong opinions about citrus and cocktails like and that's just it's not going to go away but whatever side of this you fall on to i think keeping an open mind is really important you know and keeping your eyes out maybe there's somebody that's smarter than all of us that's got to figure out a way to make it perfect or even better than perfect you know like you know you mentioned rose's lime cordial like i just used a lime cordial for a competition entry like it's not like i'm refusing to use any other method you know and that's using the the zest of the fruit that's using lime juice like you know like and creating a very specific flavor you know with that lime cordial because i was doing a giblet riff so like there's there's plenty of ways to utilize citrus intelligently that's not just juicing fresh and like i don't know i guess another thing is like if you have an eight hour bar shift right and you're juicing an hour before service and you get to that ninth hour what are you using? Are you using oxidized lime juice? Like, is my super juice going to hold up better than your oxidized lime juice at the ninth hour? Like, hell yeah, it is. Like, and that's like, you know, there's like little things like that, that when I think about a bar program, I think that it makes sense to kind of like utilize something like super juice, because uh, the biggest thing you get is consistency that, you know, every time you do it, you're going to have a much more consistent product than every day you're juicing limes when, you know, let's say your bar manager didn't order limes the week before you're using the bottom of the box. There's a couple of rotten ones. There's a lot of breakdown there. Whereas if I'm using the lime peels and I'm starting that 
you know, the day the order comes in, I'm preserving that, you know, it's all about preservation, right? Hmm. Man, you just made some killer points there. And one thing that I want to kind of add on top, maybe just a little, little garnish, like the little bacon crumbles on the French onion soup here, um, is... I love that it wasn't a cocktail garnish reference. No, that that no, was really interesting to no, me. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you thought that you thought that's where I was going. <laughs> Took a hard left. Uh, but what I want to add is that, you know, you, you were mentioning like, you know, you're throwing around some percents, right? And you're like, well, to me, Superduce is like 90% equivalent to it, fresh it's citrus. Arbitrary as shit. It's arbitrary as shit. And like, then, and that then is some, not a fact. <laughs> Well, sh- sure. And then somebody comes up and says, well, like, well, for me, it's 65%. And it's like, okay, well, there's differences in palate. But really what, what you're referencing there when you say like, well, I should like, all right, like maybe I maybe not everybody has the, the, the lemon brought down from Mount Olympus for every cocktail that we make, right? Uh, we live in the real world. And your, your point that like, I should be able to make a good drink with something that might not be the best of all possible worlds acid makes me think of taste versus flavor, right? When we're making a cocktail, the first priority is to balance tastes, right? You're balancing sweet, sour, and boozy, essentially, if we're, if we're making a sour cocktail. And really, that's all we're talking about in this episode. So we're, sure. just, we're, we're balancing sweet, sour, boozy, maybe a little bit of bitter thrown in there. And that's like, that's not a large number of knobs to turn. So you're right. When you're tuning in that flavor profile, yeah, you should be able to put something pretty damn good out there if you're only, you know, worrying about those four knobs. Now, in the realm of flavor, you know, you were also mentioning, you know, well, somebody, somebody was was saying that, uh, you know, Super Juice has this, you know, kind of oily texture. Well, duh. Yes, we're throwing, <laughs> we're throwing the peels in there. But yet, you know, that also makes me think when, like, we have certain assumptions around the way that a bar works, right? When when DeGroff was starting to use this, he was probably, when he was playing around with it in the early days, probably throwing it in a citrus press. And what do you get in a citrus press? You're also expressing those oils manually yeah. in with the citrus juice. So I think it's And also- he was probably juicing a la minute as well. Right. Like, you know, like, like, I don't think he was batching up a bunch of lime juice in a container to store in the fridge. Like, probably not, not in those early days. Yeah. 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 I'm sure I'm sure it got there. Right. So there are even certain assumptions when it comes to workflow. Right. And and so uh, you're right. I think I think it's important to be rigorous with this stuff, because once once you really dig in, once you start kind of almost like pushing back on those skeptics, it I think what becomes evident to me anyway is like, whoa, there is a great diversity of possible citrus experiences we can have. And I think what Superjuice is great at is kind of knocking off some of those problematic spiky issues with them. Yeah. And so you, you know, your, your dead end that didn't feel like such a dead end to me before you talked about <laughs> the timeframes of our, of our cocktail, you know, history, and you missed the whole disco era and nineties era where we were using bottled fake mm-hmm. high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. bullshit ass sour mixes, yeah. which some bars around me are still using. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, and that, and I think that is why so many of us, even though, you know, an article came out in 2017 that, that said the cocktail revolution is over. We've won, you know, before I even got into cocktails, that was before I even got into cocktails and I feel like I'm still fighting. So, like, but the, the fresh citrus and let's even say just simple syrup, just that combination versus the eight, nine, 10 ingredient sour mix that was going into drinks before that, you know, there is a good reason to, to define that strictly. I don't think that super juice is a new era. I do think that more sustainable solutions is a new era. Like you talked about, you know, Ryan and, and lioness and uh, white lion, dandelion, whichever one started that, that batching with acids, you know, you talk about Paradiso, you know, they don't, you know, not using ice at all, like in service, like, you know, like there are so many ways to come at great cocktails. Dave Arnold's citrus replacement. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to come at, and that's really a good word for it or a good term for it. I think it's citrus replacement, you Mm -hmm. know, like trying to get away from the 
citrus addiction because these things do only grow in tropical climates or like specific climates, not even tropical, but specific climates. You know, you grow a lemon tree and maybe in a few years you got four or five, like easy enough to go through in a night at home, you know, like, so there are, there are a lot of different ways to go about this. And I feel like super juice is one of the easiest ways. And that's what I always say. It's the easiest way for the home bartender or for the professional bar to spread out their citrus, get the same level of acidity, get a lot of the flavor too. I mean, like who hasn't made an oleo sacrum that they really like love the flavor in a cocktail? You know, this is coming at it from a slightly different angle, but like, you know, you're you're pulling so much flavor from that, from the peels and you're adding the fresh juice. And so like, you know, at the end of it, you get this product that you open the jar or the bottle or whatever. And you, it smells like lemon. It smells like lime. It smells like grapefruit. And like, yeah, at some point, you know, you're, you're, your 100% flavor of super juice starts to decline, but it's at such a later point in the graph than when your fresh citrus starts to decline, and especially with lime juice. Uh, and, you know, so I, and I think we wanted to talk about this too, but like bringing it down, citrus all has sasenic acid in it. Sasenic acid is the part that oxidizes. And so if we were to just take that oleocitrate and not add the fresh juice and just have that on its own, that would probably last not indefinitely, but indefinitely enough. Um, the sasenic acid in there would be so low. In your super juice, you're adding the fresh juice, which has that sasenic acid, which is you know eight hours for limes, a day for lemon, maybe two days for orange or grapefruit juice before it starts to really oxidize and you start to lose flavor. So like that sasenic acid going into the super juice is what makes it lose flavor in a week or two. And so, you know, you asked, you said about a week, I said about two weeks. It really does depend on which super juice you're talking about. Lime juice, I'd say, is probably the most delicate as fresh lime is the most delicate, followed by lemon, followed by grapefruit and orange. You know, my grapefruit might last a full two weeks. My lime might last a week and then it starts to taste like a little like, mm, I don't know about all that. You know, for me, my bar is open four days a week. I do it Wednesday or Thursday. We're done Sunday. You know, I'm already cycling in fresh super juice. But at home, yeah, definitely, you know, I'm going to make a cocktail tonight. I'll let you know how it goes uh, <laughs> with uh, this this super juice that expired on the 4th, allegedly. And, you know, maybe I'll say, you know what? It was a little flat because it's that lime super juice. It's that, you know, I've it, it's gotten to the point where it's oxidized and has lost some of its flavor because of it, just like mm. vermouth or sherry or wine. Like, you know, oxidation is the enemy of freshness and, you know, super juice is just prolonging the process, not eliminating it. Sure. Sure. So a lot of our listeners are pros like you, but a lot are also home bartenders. And we've got one question from the discord that I want to toss your way. But before we get to that question, I'm hoping that you and I might tag team just the list of tools and materials that somebody who wants to incorporate this in a home bar format would need to gather up and put together before setting in to, um, to make the super juice. So for me, I mean, like I'm thinking ingredients, I'll hit the ingredients and then maybe you can speak to the tools because you've done more reps than I have. But ingredients, obviously, you know, you want to pick the super juice that you're going to make. So you can make as you mentioned, lemon, lime, grapefruit, orange. Orange is really not orange. It's acid-adjusted orange. So I, I tend not to think of orange too. Not if you follow Nicole Morris's re recipe. Oh, there's a regular orange, orange, non-acid-adjusted? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So if you're making... And so the reason you do that was maybe be like orange crushes, I'm guessing? Yeah. I mean, Or, I mean, if you want to make a screwdriver, I don't know yeah. who does. But, you know, like yeah, it, orange is definitely the one that I... I don't use. I don't really use orange juice in cocktails hardly at all. So. Garibaldi's maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, so limited limited use case for orange so you can make it. But uh so you're essentially picking lemon lime grapefruit. You go and you source what I would call like a handful of those at the store. You don't need a ton, but maybe, you know, half a dozen lemons or limes, maybe three grapefruits or something like that. You can make like a reasonably good size batch of um, super juice with just a handful of citrus. But then in addition, ingredient wise, you're also going to need these uh, acids, right? And so what you do is you hop on the Amazons or you go to a specialty store like Modernist Pantry uh, is the one that Dave Arnold always talks about. And you can get powdered forms of citric acid, malic acid. And if you want to go real crazy and do like the Dave Arnold 
lime acid. He also uses a small amount of that succinic acid, but I, I don't think that's a super juice. That's that's his acid. That's his clear acid replacement. So if you want to, you know, if you wanted to make like the test tube version of this without any fresh, you could pick up a little bit of that succinic acid um, as well. But really, what you need the broad strokes, ninety nine percent of the time. Uh, citric and malic acid, and then you're ready to go aside from the tools. So I'll tag you in for the tools. Yeah. So, I mean, tools, you definitely want to get a good peeler because you're, that's really what it comes down to, especially for a bar program. I'm peeling a lot, like peeling a lot of limes and it is, you know, you got to watch out for cutting yourself, you know, like, so you want to have a good peeler. Um, OXO I hear recommended a lot. I, <laughs> I got a Patron peeler that I brought to work because it's the only one I found that gets me the perfect amount of peel with the, with the right amount of pith, which is very little when you're doing super juice, you want to minimize your pith, minim minimize that, that bitter part of it. You need a blender. And I have a $10 blender at home that I use when I make it at home. Uh, I have a Vitamix at work, but really, you know, I, I rewrote the Nickel Morris specs to be a little clearer, you know, just, it's the same thing. It's just written out clearer. And, you know, I put blend for 10 seconds and someone took issue with that and said, well, I hate that because what am I looking for? You're looking to get it blended up, you know, to small chunks that aren't like minced, you know, mm -hmm. like basically it doesn't, I've done it both ways. Like the Vitamix, like the first time I used it, it went like crazy and it got it so small. It just takes longer to strain. Mm -hmm. I didn't notice any different in flavor. So you just need a blender, whatever blender you already have. Um, you can use a hand blender. You know, you're just looking to combine everything and make sure all the acid is combined in the water and, you know, break those peels up a tiny bit, but you're not looking to, you know, completely pulverize them. You need a, a fine strainer, which most of us probably already have. Um, maybe on hand. Uh <laughs> I've also got these here. These are nut milk bags. So for anybody yeah, I got one of those anybody too. who's watching on the YouTube's, these are great. They're made of nylon and this is this is like the step that I use usually after that fine strainer and, you know, before potentially like a coffee filter and if we're talking yeah. steps of filtration. So nut milk bags, you can get them for like less than 10 bucks and they're indefinitely reusable. So uh, yeah. good no, that's definitely that's definitely helpful. I have that for all sorts of stuff that I that I do at home. I haven't found. I mean, actually, no, I'm lying. I have found that if I don't use the right <laughs> gradient of fine mesh, I'm getting chunks in my big jars at work. So I'm like, okay, we do need. We, you need a really a nice fine mesh. You could use a, a nut milk bag. I wouldn't go coffee filter because that'll just take forever. And yeah, you need a clean bottle to store it in. I mean, uh, best would be a flip top bottle. I use like flip top jars at work. They're not the greatest for pouring out of, but they work. And you know, something that is you know, and if you fill it to the top, especially like again, we're we're fighting oxidation. That'll keep it the longest. And a funnel. You always need a funnel. You know, this is all stuff that if you're making any level of cocktails at home, you probably have already. And a super juice does freeze. Like it does freeze fairly well. I've frozen it when I knew I had a competition coming up because I do use super juice in all my competitions with varied results from the judges. Because again, I'm talking sometimes to really big names in the industry that, you know, have strong opinions over the last 20 years. And I'm like, Hey, <laughs> here's this thing that just came out that I just started doing. Um, but it does freeze well. And so, you know, if you do make a, a full batch, I'll say, you know, you could freeze some of it and pull it out when you're ready, you know, the day you're ready to make a cocktail and let it defrost and, you know, and see, like, that's like the whole, that's like the fun part of getting into something like super juice is like, it can be really fun to, you know, test it side by side with your fresh lime today and then do it again tomorrow and see like, okay, did I notice any differences? Like, did I, you know, drink coffee? Did I like brush my teeth too soon before the cocktail yesterday? You know, there's so many variables, you know, and if you come at it as from a spirit of like, you know, wanting to learn and understand and have fun and then also realize like, okay, like there's still, there's some sustainability aspects that, you know, even as a home bartender, I think are important. It can be really fun. So yeah, but yeah, basic tools, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. And you can, I order my citric amalic from Amazon. I also have Excorbic and agar agar and all this stuff. It's all on Amazon. Like yeah. you know, we can say what we want about Amazon being the devil, but it's really convenient. Yeah, it is <laughs> indeed. It is uh, one thing that uh, I should mention for folks that, and again, I'm coming at this as home home bartender versus professional bartender here, but you need a scale that is sensitive to the gram. Oh. 
right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. Not everybody has that. Um, yeah. So I, you know, and again, I'm, I'm a home bartender for way longer than I'm professional, but yes, that is number one on the list when you're trying to do, honestly, I, I build, I do all my syrups by, by weight. I do everything by weight now. And I've been doing that for a year plus now. <laughs> yeah. You need a gram scale. Yeah. You don't need a, you don't need a, a point gram scale. You know, you can get, a, you know, if you have to round up or down to a gram of citric or malic, that's fine. Right. But yeah, definitely need a gram scale. Yeah. And so what we'll do, I mean, to, and to me, this is the, this is where the precision comes in, right? So we've got these couple different recipes floating around. Uh, Mike and I will powwow and we're, we're going to try and make the show notes page for this, uh, a good resource for people who want to go and see the side-by-sides. We'll link to the cost video. We'll link to the Nickel Morris video and we'll give you all the, all the possible resources that you're going to need to play around with this and experiment the way that we have. But uh, yeah, let me, let me pull up that question from the discord here. It's signed me out, uh, signed me out on my computer. So let's go talking too much. (laughs) <laughs> Feels like so long ago you mentioned there was a question from the Discord. All right. So this is from Jaden. He said, um, one thing that is slightly intimidating to me about super juices or any acid adjusted juices is not knowing the baseline that I'm working from. If I juice three different oranges at three different times in the year, I don't imagine the juice will all be the same, not to mention the different types of oranges. So if an acid adjusted orange juice calls for some quantity of orange juice and acid, it will yield different results, even though they'll all be acidic orange juice or just orange juice if we're following the nickel morris thing should i be measuring the ph of my juices this is kind of like the crux of the question lately i've been thinking in general about the issues around inconsistency with measuring sweetness and acidity Uh, i know liquid intelligence discusses it a bit but i'd love to hear mike's thoughts so we don't use orange juice so don't worry about it no i'm kidding um (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the, oh my God, I wanted to quote this book name and I'm not remembering it. It's, it's flying out of my head. The new Tiki book. God, I listened to like at least two podcasts with these guys on there and all of it has flown out of my head. Um, but talks a lot about acid adjusting, right. Mm -hmm. And measuring pH Mm -hmm. and, um, I'll have to, we'll, we'll have to link that. Oh, uh, the guys from New York. Yes. Um, Yeah. I can't. Wow. Yeah, it's it's literally every day that I have a bar guest that I'm like, hey, how are you? They're like, do you remember me? I'm like, yeah. And then like it's coming to the end. I'm like, I'm not going to remember your name. And they ask me like, it's just, I'm so bad sometimes. What's what's the name of the bar? Tropical Standard? Is it Tropical Standard? Tropical Standard. Yes. Okay. Yes. There we go. I can't. Yeah. So they I, and I haven't picked it up yet. And I absolutely have to because they they talk a lot about um, acid adjusting fruit and measuring that pH. And so I definitely understand that question is like, yes, you are looking at things that are inconsistent. My my response to that is when you make up a Garibaldi with fresh orange juice, are you measuring the pH or are you just making your Garibaldi? If you're making a gimlet, well, it's not a bad example because lime cordial, but if you're making a daiquiri, are you measuring the pH on your lime juice and adjusting every time you're making a daiquiri or are you using three quarters of an ounce, right? And so I feel like it's a little bit the same here. I think that over the course of eight limes, three oranges, three grapefruits, whatever, and at different times of the year, yes, you're definitely going to have some variation. When you're using super juice and a set amount of citric acid, set amount of malic acid, set amount of sugar, MSG, whatever, you're going to have, it's going to become more, it's going to be more consistent than the juice you're using for your cocktails anyway. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't measure the pH of your juice and really get down into those like nitty gritty details if you want to. If that's something that interests you, if you're really science minded, like, sure, do it. Absolutely. And let us know because I'm curious, like what you find over the next year, if you, you know, want to check oranges every month, like, for sure, like, but I think especially with lemon and lime, which uh, I'd say it's probably the bulk of what we're talking about today is lemon and lime um, with some grapefruit sprinkled. And I do use grapefruit at the bar. You're using very similar levels of acidity and you're going to get the same, the same or less variance that you would if you were using the fresh juice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good answer. And and another thing that I'll throw in here, Jaden, is that if you're measuring the acidity of your juices, whether you're comparing last week's oranges to this week's oranges, or you're comparing fresh citrus to super juice, is you've got a couple of options. You can use pH test strips, which are very affordable. Again, 
hit up Amazon. I have experience doing that because last year I started a Bloody Mary experiment where I'm juicing a bunch of different heirloom varieties of green tomatoes and comparing the flavors. And part of that is also checking the pH. So what I can tell you is that I juiced three sets of you know very different heirloom tomatoes, dipped those test strips in, and the pH is, it's very difficult to tell if there's a significant difference just from using the color of that pH strip and holding it up to the little guide that they have on the container. So if you're testing that way, which is the affordable way, it might be a little difficult to actually tell if there is a difference because to the naked eye, test strips uh, aren't going to yield much of a difference in this. And then if you want to get into the long tail of it, then yeah, you're going to have to spring for a reasonably expensive, you know, at least dozens of dollars, potentially dozens of dozens of dollars <laughs> for a, uh, for an actual pH meter. Um, so I guess I agree with Mike in that it's like, Hey, are, are we all okay here? Like, you know, like, like, uh, cocktails are about hospitality, right? Shaking someone a cocktail or shaking up a cocktail for yourself is about like having fun and enjoying stuff. And and I, I, I guess as much as I'm curious uh, about the results, right? I would say if you, if you have this impulse to start measuring things to that degree, I would encourage you to go into it with, with curiosity as opposed to worry that your outcome is not going to be good enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, it, the things we nerd out on are some of the most satisfying like things in our lives. Right. Like I'm, yeah. I'm such a nerd when it comes to cocktails and when I find something new or interesting or I create an ingredient or, you know, like whatever it is, like it, it can be so much fun to get that answer. But like, you know, you get down to a certain level and like, yeah, there are bars out there that are doing pH testing on their fruits and stuff like for sure. But like, you know, are they, and that might satisfy their curiosity. I don't think I'm that science minded. Like, you know, like people call me a scientist at work because they see I have a bunch of dasher bottles of bitters. If that tells you anything about my area, um, you know, like they're like, you're a scientist, you're you're an artist. I'm like, I'm a bartender. Like, please, like, it's just, I'm making drinks. Like, and it's, it is fun and it is exciting, but yeah, getting down to that, that level of nitty gritty, you know, it's an investment and like it, Listen, if Jaden wants to do that, go ahead, let us know. And, you know, maybe maybe we adjust these recipes that maybe there's something we learn from it. But like, right. yeah, I don't, I don't want to do it. No. Yeah. I mean, and Jaden, <laughs> like I said, you know, I, I, I was I was kind of more power to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, you know, a little little dig there at the at the impulse of doing this. That said, I'm going to be doing it with this year's batch of tomatoes in just a couple days. So I'm going to be busting out the test strips just, just to see if if something is, is wildly different than I expected. So, um, yeah, definitely report back. And, um, well, I, I think we're at the point where we should kind of wrap up a little bit here, but, um, is there anything else about super juice that we should know that we've, that we've totally, um, overlooked thus far? Uh, I don't think so. I think we covered it pretty, pretty well. Um, you know, if you're, you know, obviously it always goes, if you're interested in super juice, if you want to learn more, if you want to do more like the show notes of this is going to be great. Um, you can always reach out to me if you have a question. I'm again, and I'm third string. I'm not the expert. I'm not the inventor, but I definitely I'm using it and I'm using it in a professional setting, which is a little bit different than using it at home. And people are loving the drinks and I I'm tasting the drinks all the time. And I'm like, you know, like it, it's just, it's good, you know? And so, and it's, it can save you a little bit of money, especially if you're doing any kind of volume at home, you know, you're doing a party or you're doing something like it can definitely save a couple of bucks here and there. And in in this economy, that's helpful. So. Yeah. I think that's a great point because, you know, for home bartenders, the question does become of like, okay, if you're making a big batch of super juice, well, what are you going to do with it? You're not going to drink it all yourself. And if, you know, then there's a question of freezer space. I don't have a lot of freezer space. So like if you're going to use some and then freeze some, great. Yeah, a party. If you're looking for an excuse, if you're the kind of person who's like, ah, super juice, very good. I want to play with this. Wait till your next party. That is absolutely (laughs) when you should do it. And, you know, as long as you follow the instructions that we provide in the show notes, it's going to be reasonably low stakes. Like it's going to be kind of hard to mess up. And if you do, you'll be able to cover it up nicely. 
it's nice to know that people are interested. And even if you don't wind up using it, like you said, and that's like, you know, it, it's not necessarily going to be for everyone or even every home bartender. If you make one cocktail a week, like I don't see this being helpful for you. But if you make a few a week, I could see this being something that might be you're something you get into because instead of coming home from work and having a juice, fresh citrus, you just pour out of a bottle like you do your syrup or your your alcohol. And it's kind of nice. Like, yeah. And I, that's the part that I like about it, too. Exactly. And also great for, you know, it's hard to do any sort of batched citrus cocktails. But to the extent that you could do something batched, if you were, let's say, like going out on a boat or something and or going going somewhere where it's like, you know, you're, it's only going to be an hour or two between the time you batch and the time you consume, then, yeah, Super Juice is actually a pretty handy thing for batching. And then, you know, you just got to give the bottle a little bit of a shake before you pour out each drink. And, you know, so th- there are some there are some other s- stretch cases for it as well. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, that even goes down to the question, you know, I just got finished reading a, a book that says you can batch a cocktail with citrus and leave it for a year and it's going to change, but it'll still be good. <laughs> and so like, you know, that's my next kind of like point of inquiry. Like I'm going to batch up a citrus cocktail and taste test it for a month and see how it changes. Does it go quote unquote bad? Or did we all just kind of think that because hmm. citrus doesn't last all that long? Hmm. So I'll let you know on that one. Ooh, very interesting. <laughs> Mike Vanderhorn, always testing, always learning, always experimenting. That's why we had you on here. Um, Well, let's jump into a few quick lightning round questions if you're game. Sure. All right. You're a cocktail competition guy, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode. What's a theme or challenge that you'd love to see incorporated into a competition that you haven't seen thus far? Uh, I I think it'd be cool to see something really specific. You know, you see, I, I've seen like an espresso martini competition. I've seen like a porn star martini competition coming from Difford's Guide. I'd mm. like to see something even more specific. Like you have to use, you know, brand bottle and super juice. Like, you know, or something like that's like, that that's like even more specific in like a large format competition, you know, like not just make a margarita, but like you have to use like this, this and this, and make it your own somehow. Like, I don't know. I could see just like something a little bit more rigorous than I see a lot of the time of just like, Oh, make a cocktail. Like, Mm. I think that could be cool. Interesting. Yeah, there was, um, so here in DC, we have Ricky, uh, a gin Ricky competition, which is kind of like, again, that's so fun, pretty open, but the Ricky is DC's cocktail. So that one's always good. And then I also, I've also seen a Ramos gin fizz competition and that's, that can get pretty intense, but yeah, no, I like it. I like, um, I like that instead of, um, looking for ways to make it easier on yourself, you're looking you're looking to make it more challenging. Yeah. Like something, and I guess that's really what it is. Something more, more challenging. I don't know. It's just, it's so many, there, there's so many ways you can go about a cocktail competition too. Like something really specific where you could only change like one ingredient. Like I could see that being fun. I'd love to see like a margarita competition where they have to pick a very specific margarita recipe and like defend their recipe because oh, you could yeah. you could almost do <laughs> you could almost do like a sweet 16 bracket with margarita recipes like if you go all yeah. the way oh, back to sure. the original like daisy the the original tequila daisy and then go all the way through like you know then you get a sidecar then you got you know the three or four different recipes up until the cadillac margarita then you get the cadillac margarita then you get the tommy's margarita and then somebody comes in with a ranch water um so yeah no I'd, (laughs) i'd love to see something like that next question this is a bit of a hypothetical, but let's say you were to walk into a bar with a group of friends. It's, you know, you're, you know, it's, it's late, maybe, you know, an hour from last call or something and it's a busy bar, but you'd notice that your nemesis is bartending. What is the drink order that you order for the entire group that ruins this person's night because they're your nemesis and they deserve it? And the two rules that I will say, you can't choose Ramos Gin Fizz and you can't choose Espresso Martini. So those are off the table, but what what order do you place to ruin your nemesis night? It would definitely it would have to be a 
so <laughs> depends on how much I know about the bar. What gets me when I'm at the bar is when I have like a bunch of different drinks um, <laughs> that aren't batched. Like they're off menu. So like, you know, like I would have somebody order a martini with like, an, like a kind of an off the beaten path tequila and like somebody order uh, a sour style cocktail that like has like, yeah, like a, um, oh my God. What am I thinking? The, uh, the Tommy's margarita or what? Uh, the one with grapefruit and maraschino. Oh my god, Hemingway. Oh, Hemingway yeah, Daiquiri. Yeah, That's yeah, what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, something that has like the Luxardo that like you see is like dusty on the top shelf sure. there. Like you know, like and it's always just be all different cocktails. So, like, so you're just you're have, you're going with the you're going with the eight bottle pickup. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I try to avoid that at work by batching all my spirits, but someone gets me with that one random like. Oh my god, I have to like get on a ladder to go get that bottle. Very devious, very devious. Um, what is a cocktail ingredient that you don't have access to either in New Jersey, potentially based on the way like distribution works, but New Jersey's pretty good with that, I guess, or in the yeah. US at large that, that you wish that was more available. And let's just, let's put chartreuse off the table because we're all sad about how difficult that is to source. But what's, what's an ingredient you wish you had better access to? You know, I don't mean to like, you know, make people in control states feel bad, but there's not too much that I can't get my (laughs) hands on. Like, uh, you know, it's, it it would definitely be like, you know, some of those like other types of citruses or what, or like weird fruits that like I hear about, but haven't tried yet. You know, like I would think, I would say like five years ago, probably yuzu, but -hmm. now there's like so many yuzu. I have a yuzu liqueur. I've got a yuzu concentrate. Like, you know, like there's a yuzu super juice like marketed out there. Like, you know, like there's so many like yuzu things because it got popular, but yeah, it would definitely have to be something like, like fresh pandan. I've been to two Asian markets. I can't Uh, find fresh pandan. mm. Um, So that might be a good one where like, you know, like, I'd be like, you know, I'd really like to have that, but uh, it's not readily available. That's a good point. Yeah, no, it's it's it, fresh is smart. Like even if you think about passion fruit, we've got chinola. You know, chinola liqueur is is excellent for you know passion fruit flavor, and you know you can get concentrates all over the place. Um, yeah, it definitely. Uh, I like I like Gifar. Last question here. Gun to your head. You have ten minutes to design a signature cocktail for South Jersey. Go. With what I have on hand, or like what you, you choose anything. the rules, yeah. Uh, so you know, I've been uh, been talking a lot about uh, Danny Childs and his new book, uh, Slow Drinks. Um, so he's got a Winter Amaro. Um, I think it's the winter one that uses like the the like pine tips from the mm-hmm. Pine Barrens, mm-hmm. and I would definitely want to include that, and maybe even. Uh, <laughs> So last year for Patron, we uh, I tried to do a seaside goldenrod infusion, which is those yellow flowers that grow on the beach. So some combination of that. I think uh, my fiance is going to pick up a couple of uh, bunches of seaside goldenrod for me to try something again with, not for a competition, just for fun. So something with seaside goldenrod, something with like the pine barrens, amaro, and probably gin. Uh, will lean into that that piney flavor that mm. a lot of people say they don't like in gin, um, and just get something that really kind of encapsulates like the shore and. Uh, the Pine Barrens, and I could smoke it if I wanted to be like Newark, but I think I'll avoid that. We'll just stick to South Jersey. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned like the seaside foraging because one thing, and I'm just gonna say you're welcome in advance. You can have this. <laughs> I'm giving it to you. Uh, it'd be ni- it'd be nice to be nice to have a little attribution maybe on the menu, but they call them. Uh, it's either sea beans is what Baldor has, or the 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 more I guess botanical name would be called glasswort. It's, I don't know if you've ever seen growing, um, it's usually like in, it's not in the dunes, but it's like in the marshes near the intercoastal. They have, it it almost looks segmented like bamboo, but it's maybe grass that gets about six inches long. Okay. And it's, it's, you bite into it and it's briny and it's fresh and we're about a month past the ideal harvest time. Usually harvest it in August. Um, <laughs> thanks for thanks for the info. I'll, I'll keep that on I'm the calendar for, for next for, August. <laughs> well, for next for next year. And here's here's what I've done. I've pickled it. I pickled it okay. and with some with some citrus peel and a little bit of of like mustard uh, mustard seed and stuff like that. And it makes an incredible savory martini garnish. Um, awesome. and it's, it's like, it's, 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 it's kind of like, it almost looks like kind of like you put like a cedar bow or something in, in the glass. So 
check out sea beans or glass wart. And if you, you can definitely, you could easily go out and get like a pillowcase full of that stuff and, and pickle it and then have martini garnishes for the next several months. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, that's a good, that's a nice South Jersey ingredient that I've played with as well. Uh, but Mike, awesome. this has been awesome. Thank you for your super juice insights and just having a great chat as usual. Um, where can people find you in person behind the bar and how can they connect with you digitally? I'm at uh, Queen Jane's uh, Lounge and Royal Trinkery in Summers Point. Um, and online, best is Instagram at Cocktail Complex. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, interested in competitions, we've got our broadcast channel. We're always pushing out the information. Uh, it's been going really well, too. I've had a bunch of people reach out after we recorded our last show and with the, with the broadcast channel. So that's really awesome. And yeah, feel free to DM me about anything. It does not have to be about super juicer competitions. Like, I'm always open to chatting with people and uh, pretty much always respond. So awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, this is you, you join the prestigious uh, two time guest list here over at the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on again and uh, sharing your insights with us. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips, and keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Super Juice Insights courtesy of Mike Vanderhorn, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a publication of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast, copyright 2023.